Welcome to this week's episode of Pour Another Round, where we're here to discover and share the stories behind your favorite beers and breweries. Today, we have a really special guest, really the pinnacle of craft craft beer. We have Dogfish Head Brewery out of Delaware. We're talking to co-founder Sam Caligioni. Dogfish Head Brewery was the first brew pub out in Delaware, and you'll hear us talking with Sam about just how tiny they were when they first started. Look where they are now today, being a part of the Boston Beer Company. I had the chance to meet Sam out at the Great American Beer Festival, along with Jim Koch from Boston Beer Company, and now we finally got them on the show, and we were super excited to hear all about the Dogfish Head journey and and just how they grew to, to being in, in all 50 states from that very tiny brew house. And you might know them from their 60-minute IPA, their 90-minute IPA, and their 120-minute IPA. Sam talks about some of the, the special details and secrets behind the the names and the how those beers were created. So uh, if you are at all interested in IPAs, definitely go out, check out some of those that's available in all 50 states. And if you're interested in finding more of their beer, you can go to their website and go to Fish Finder and you can find all of their beers that are available in your area and enjoy this episode with Sam from Dogfish Head Brewery. Cheers to our sponsors. Wisconsin's newest craft beverage trail is here. Madison on Tap is a craft beverage trail brought to you by Destination Madison and their craft beverage partners. And this trail is way more fun than the old Oregon trail computer game that we all used to play. And there's not even any dysentery or starvation (laughs) on this trail. (laughs) Quite the opposite, really. Madison on Tap is your free roadmap to more than 30 breweries, cideries, and distilleries in the greater Madison, Wisconsin region, and their discounts and prizes along the way. Madison on Tap is mobile exclusive, but requires no app download. Sign up at visitmadison.com, and all you need to do is check in at each location you visit on the trail. You'll get some discounts, and you might even receive some extra perks. Tell us about those, Jonathan. Well, just three check-ins gets you a Madison on Tap sticker. Six check-ins gets you a Madison on Tap hat, and 12 check-ins gets you entered to win an overnight Madison craft experience. 12 check-ins seems pretty easy. And even just one check-in, you're guaranteed some great beverages and a good time. Right, exactly. Just head to visitmadison.com slash madison-on-tap to access the trail pass or simply Google Madison on Tap. Cheers and happy trails. I'm Cameron. And I'm Jonathan. We We like like beer. beer. We're a podcast by beer lovers, for beer lovers, and with beer creators. Some of our best stories start with beer. Now it's time to make beer the story. Each Hoppy Pour has been on an often unexpected journey to become the brews you love. So, pour another round and drink with us as we explore the stories behind your favorite beers and breweries. And if you like beer, like breweries, like some bad jokes and great puns, and like this podcast, be sure to subscribe so you can learn about all of our upcoming breweries we have on tap. Today on Pour Another Round, we are here with Sam Caligioni from He's the brewer and founder of Dogfish Head Brewery in Milton, Delaware. So we're super excited to have you here, Sam, today. And I had the pleasure of meeting you out at uh, the Great American Beer Festival, you and and Jim from Boston Beer Company, and uh, Megan from your team as well. And 
enjoyed hearing you talk out there and speak. And, and then uh, we're glad we finally got you on for another round today. Well, thanks, Jonathan and Cameron. I'm, I'm excited to be here with you guys. And congrats on your first ever winter beer festival that you guys <laughs> have just held for over 300 uh, brave souls up there. Congrats. Sounds like that was a blast. Well, you know, in, uh, in Wisconsin, especially Green Bay, uh, you hear about the frozen tundra. So let's prove it and drink some beer while we're enjoying that. <laughs> That's fantastic. Did people bring a lot of stronger alcohol beers so that we're more warming in the cold weather? <laughs> we might have had a few people pre-gaming, I think, before the beer festival. <laughs> That's good. That's smart. There was there was one crazy girl who wore sandals the whole time, and she was out there for the full three hours standing in the snow. And I don't know how she did it because I had boots on and my feet were a little chilly. <laughs> right. Wow. You could see her her feet like she was barefoot sandals. Yeah, barefoot sandals. She wins. <laughs> yeah, I don't think she probably had any feeling left on her feet by the end. But right, right, very cool. Well, excited to be here with you guys today. Yeah, well, we're excited to have you. And uh, you know, a big name like Dogfish Head. Talk about where did this idea to to open up a brewery come from? And then here we are, you know, decades later, as one of the most uh, recognizable craft beer brands, you know, around. So. Uh, talk about the early days and and where did where did the idea come from early on? Sure. So I'm like proudly of sort of what I'd call the second wave or second generation of craft brewery founders. So we're certainly standing on the shoulders of giants. You know, and, you know my kind of touchstones were Ken Grossman from Sierra Nevada, uh, Jim Cook from Sam Adams, uh, Fritz Maytag from Anchor the folks that really got our movement starting in the 80s. But for the 90s, when there was that second wave of craft brewery uh, openings, you know, that kind of that surge moment in the early to mid 90s, that's when we opened, that's when Stone opened, Victory, a whole bunch of our friends. And uh, But for Dogfish, our goal was to stand out from that first generation of craft brewers who were making really good local fresh beers, but they were in essence, mostly, you know, modern day interpretations of English and, you know, Belgian and German beer styles, call them European beer styles. And so for us to stand out, you know, I was 24 years old when I wrote the business plan. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to have a lot of money, so I better have a unique story to tell. <laughs> and so the story I told in that business plan that formed the dogfish had kind of, uh, you know, philosophy of brewing is that we would be the first commercial brewery in America committed to brewing the majority of our beers outside the Rhine Heights boat using culinary ingredients. So when we opened in 95, we had beers like chicory stout with organic Mexican coffee and licorice root. We had uh, raison d'etre with beet sugars and raisins, immortal with maple syrup and vanilla beans. So you flash forward, you know, 95, there were 600 breweries in America. Now there's over 10,000. And it, it's probably to your listeners and people attended your festival, it doesn't seem crazy to put those kinds of ingredients in beer today when you think of all the pastry stouts right. and fruited, fruited sours. But in the mid-90s when we did that, we were pretty much the only brewery in the country focused on these culinary-inspired, non-traditional beers. Yeah, and I think, like you just mentioned, the Ryan Heitzkavat, and I'm sure many beer drinkers now probably have never heard of that or at least don't even care about that. How did you introduce people to like this obscure out of the box beer back in back in the 90s? Like what was the what was the welcoming of that to to beer drinkers who were coming from yes, you had the Sierra Nevadas, you had the Anchors, but for the most part you had the the macros that 
you know everyone knew about yeah you know well basically we we had this we have this rallying cry that's kind of our brand's uh mission statement and it's this emerson quote and at the heart of this is is the idea of going on an exploration of goodness and not kind of trusting the status quo but figuring out for yourself what is good and and if it's truly good folks will go on the journey with you it was the quote was too long to fit on a six-pack so we shortened it to, <laughs> to, we shortened it to off-centered goodness for off-centered people uh so basically saying look what we're going to be making is not going to be for everyone we're going to use exotic unexpected ingredients and that's cool if it's not for everybody but we're hopeful that we'll find an audience that wants to go on this creative journey with us and if they do, you know, they, they can, we're not going to try to hard sell them. And, uh, and, and if they like what we're trying out, they'll tell people about it. And that's kind of how we've grown with sort of that grassroots kind of human scale interaction with beer lovers with humility saying, yeah, you know, beer with coffee, chicory is not going to be for everyone, but we hope you like it. And then uh, away we went. And then I think very early on also specific to the Rhine Heights boat, which, uh, you know, it's probably a good thing that probably most 21 to 35-year-old drinkers don't know about it. But those of us <laughs> 35 and over that kind of came up with the craft beer renaissance talked about it a lot. As, you know, so for Dogfish early on, we, we also would do – I would write – I did a poster and, and, uh, and had behind festival booths a saying that I came up with, which was uh, – which is uh, the Rhine Heights Kabot is nothing more than a relatively modern form of art censorship. And, <laughs> and, it, and it gave me the opportunity to sh- show beers like Midas Touch, a 2,700-year-old you know, Turkish recipe that has saffron and honey in it, or um, ancient British braggots with mead, mead and, and you know, herbs in them. Because the Rye Heights Boat is only you know, a 500-year-old rule that kind of, mandated beer had to be a simple thing commercially but humans have been brewing really unique dynamic beers for over ten thousand years wow and so when when dogfish head did open in in june of 1995 you opened as dogfish head breweries and eats which was delaware's first brew pub and you also opened as the smallest commercial brewery in america and you did really start as this this tiny little brewery. Um, so talk about that and how you you know what you were using to for these initial recipes. Yeah, sure. So for context, I think I read the, in the Brewers Association, our trade group recently, uh, that the average commercial brewery opens with a, a ten barrel brewing system. So for your listeners that don't calibrate the world and in barrels that'd be uh 31 barrels or gallons in a barrel so the brewing equipment usually you're opening with when you're boiling in a vat that vat is usually about 300 gallons and for dogfish again i was 24 i couldn't raise money for real you know commercial (laughs) brewing equipment so we basically just converted a whole bunch of kegs 15 gallon half barrel kegs into fermenters and just kind of uh MacGyvered a home brewing system with more, <laughs> you know, bigger and more commercially oriented uh, propane burners and a commercial heat exchanger. But basically, just our brewing system was built out of 15 gallon kegs, and we would transfer out of the keg that we boiled in through a heat exchanger into a 15 gallon stainless steel keg that was, you know, converted into a fermenter. And then I would carry that fermenter, waddle it into a room with 
air conditioners in the wall. Um, and that would be the cold room where we'd ferment, you know, these are ales. So we were, you know, had the room at like 60 degrees and would ferment in there and then trans- then waddle that keg into a cold room, leave it overnight. The yeast would drop in the cold room, you know, and then I would transfer it into another keg and then roll it onto tap at the bar. So extremely like lab- labor intensive, we could yield maybe 12 or 13 gallons in every batch. And like you said, yeah, we were wow. the smallest, smallest of the 600 breweries in America when we opened with that homemade system. Well, so I want to, I want to go back to, you know, you're, you're thinking outside of the box, pushing the envelope when it comes to this, this beer rule, if you will, even looking at the, you know, dogfish head in its early days compared to the other 599 breweries, you're the smallest one at the time, but you're doing the crazy things. Like where did that, where did that mindset of yours come from? How did you, how did you develop that need or that, that satiation for just like, you know what, here's the rules. Don't care about them. We're going to do our own thing. We're just going to pave our own way and not care about what anyone else says is right, wrong, the way to do it, the way not to do it. And that's like a whole, you're creating a whole league that doesn't even exist yet. Yeah. And I guess, you know, it can, can you know, I think I've been like rebellious by, by nature, you know, since I was a <laughs> little kid, I met my wife, Mariah, who's co-founded Dogfish with me while we were in high school at, a, at high school where I grew up in Western Massachusetts. And I actually got kicked out of that high school as a junior and, uh, or no, it was in is March there, of my senior year. Is there a good story to that? Well, they kicked me out for what they called an accumulation of offenses, which, <laughs> which means they had me for a bunch of small shit, but nothing big enough <laughs> to be a single incident. So they just kind of wrapped all my belligerence. Just, just like we're we're done. Get out of here. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not you. It's us. Get out. Uh, uh, but uh, but and, and so yeah, coming from that rebellious streak, and then I was. I was an English major in college and wanted to be a novelist or poet or creative writer. And so I, I uh, started homebrewing when I moved to New York city the day after college and was taking writing classes at Columbia, uh, hoping to roll in their MFA program and be a writer. And then I just discovered good beer and I was like, Holy crap, there's so many good diverse beers that I didn't know about. Instead of trying to write the great American novel, I think I'll try to, uh, you know, use my love for creative storytelling to come up with these great, you know, unique recipes and tell stories around them. So brand building kind of regardless of, of where you do it is really, uh, you know, a form of story storytelling and trying to tell compelling compelling stories that are unique and entice people to to give what you're you're uh celebrating a, a try and and so that was really what motivated me in trying to find these spaces in in the commercial brewing world where be, where brewers had yet to go you know with different ingredients um was really the, always the motivating factor and then that bled into us opening one of the first craft distilleries so we've been brewing for 27 years but we opened one of the earliest craft distilleries over two decades ago with that similar you know off-center goodness for us people approach meaning you know what's unexpected that we could do with a gin what's unexpected that we can do with a whiskey and a rum etc so that's really kind of that that became part of our our, our mission and our, our momentum as well yeah, and that that distilling side of Dogfish Head started in two thousand two um, with hand hand still hand hand distilling rum, gin, vodka, in a in a still called the Franken Still. Is is the Franken Still still around? 
Yeah, it's it's part of it's part of the tour now. If you come to <laughs> okay. the big brewery, the big brewery and the distillery in Milton, Delaware, yep. um, and it's outside like a piece of sculpture. But yeah, basically similar to our brewing system. I was I, Dogfish never bought a single piece of new equipment. Our first decade, we were open, but we're on the Delmarva Peninsula, which is a big like. Uh, poultry industry part placed in the country so okay. uh, purdue poultry's out of here allen po- poultry's out of this area so we have these really good scrap yards like these industrial food grade stainless steel a scrap yard on this peninsula because all these farmers and ag companies and chicken companies you know discard their used equipment or equipment they they grow out of so dogfish basically grew because we had this scrapyard and anytime i had 500 or extra thousand bucks i would go through the scrapyard <laughs> and find a new pump or a new sure. set of fittings and one day i just saw a tank sitting in the mud there that had the exact geometry of a of a whiskey pot still like 150 gallon still so i bought it and then we welded a steam jacket to it we welded two kegs together to be the condensation coils. Uh, uh, and so, yeah, we built our own, own still uh, 21 years ago to open our distillery part of our business. Wow. So Dogfish Head really was was scrappy and was crafty when you guys were getting going on both the brewing side and the distilling side. And, um, you know, just as as you do with with the products that you're making and wanting to be unique and be uh, just do your own thing, you really did that from the ground up uh when acquiring equipment too yeah another fun one is our we we were proudly the sponsors of the championship world championship of electronic football and some some of your listeners probably that are football fans considering your neck of the woods remember or or have the vibrating football games little guys on the on the field vibrate on the metal field and that's another piece of equipment like in the 99 1999 we converted one of those vibrating football games with a perforated bucket and some duct tape and two by fours to be our first continual hopping device so 60 minute 60 minute and 90 minute we would vibrate the pelletized hops out of a bucket down the vibrating football field into the boiling beer which makes those beers you know really you know beautifully pungently hoppy without being crushingly bitter and that original vibrating football game machine we built is now uh, part of the permanent collection of the smithsonian uh, museum in dc along with the wright brother planes and the apollo rocket so we're really that's probably our our most like existentially important invention you know that we, we came up came up with that sounds like something wild even like consider that something that you guys created is sitting next to some of the most important pieces of american history look at that dogfish head just sitting right in the smithsonian who would have thought <laughs> yeah i gotta give props to the uh the, the founder of the brewers association who also founded the american home brewers association that's charlie papazian and any of your listeners that are home brewers just definitely check out his book the joy of homebrewing because that was kind of the the bible of homebrewing that got a lot of us started in the 70s 80s and 90s but uh charlie papazian's original homebrewing uh spoon from his home home brewery that started our movement uh is also in that permanent uh smithsonian collection so props props to charlie papazian I bet your uh, your high school history teacher is looking at you now, like, oh yeah, look at that, it it all worked out for him. 
Yeah, when they kicked me out, like one of the <laughs> one of the offenses was um, I was a hockey player and still played up until five years ago, adult league hockey. And uh, one of the times I got busted, I would wait outside liquor stores in high school with money and pay people to go in and get me a, <laughs> a, a 24 pack of cheap beer. And then I would bring the, the cans of beer onto campus in my hockey bag. And I got busted <laughs> once. And the deans, when they put me on probation, were like, you know, Sam, what do you think? You're going to make a living, you know, selling beer to, to people? You know, it's not how it works. And, and so, yeah. That's how it works, huh? Yeah, you're right. When when they finally did give me my, like, honorary high school degree, my I got earned my high school degree, like, 10 years ago as a 40-something-year-old. But that dean was still working at the school, and I had to go up to him and show him my diploma and kind of stick, <laughs> stick it in his face a bit. I believe the MFA would call that foreshadowing. <laughs> yes, yes, I can probably... <laughs> I could probably write a good story about that that that, that interaction <laughs> through the decades. Yeah. <laughs> well, Sam, let's pour our first round and talk about those IPAs that you've got. You mentioned the sixty-minute IPA, and you've got a um, a ninety-minute IPA, right, and a one hundred and twenty-minute IPA, and those are, you know, probably some of your your at, at least from our perspective, one of some of the most known. Uh, beers that that dogfish head brewery brewery is doing right now or has been doing so talk about the difference between what goes into those 60 90 120 minute ipas and and where that idea came from and and what they're all about yeah so basically what's the same across the three beers that you mentioned are that they all employ that continual hopping concept that started with the electronic football game, but now we have this beautiful custom designed pneumatic cannon system that shoots hops from these pods in a cold room, three different pods into the boil kettle as the beer boils. Now it's a 200 barrel boil kettle. So um, a little bit bigger than our 12 gallon original boil kettle. Uh, But if 60 minute is 6% alcohol, 60 international IBUs, uh, boiled for 60 minutes, 90 minutes, 9% alcohol, 90 IBUs uh, boiled for 90 minutes. 120 minute when we first conceived it, our goal was to brew it at 20% alcohol <laughs> and 120 IBUs. But we quickly learned, because we brewed a batch of worldwide stout, uh, I think in 1999, and got it over 20% ABV. So it wasn't like outlandish to dream. We could do that with 120. But we basically learned that we were better off, you know, shooting for between call it 17 and 18% ABV because uh, we could more predictably nail that with the yeast and not have leftover fermentable sugars uh, to the degree that sometimes we had when we try to go over 20 ABV. So for, yeah, that's the difference with 120 minute, it usually comes in around uh, 17% uh, alcohol by volume. So that's the big boy for sure. I think that's really cool that, you know, you're talking about wanting to to create a story through beer. Like each one of those creates their own story through the different numbers and the patterns that it all happens. And I think that's just like one of those subtle creative touches to creating this story and this this, this whole like aura around this 60, 90, 120 minute uh, IPA and the whole brand that there is there. So uh, I think that's a really cool way to do that and something unique that I don't know, maybe some other people have done something similar uh, since then, but being being the first one, I'm sure, that does something like that was really cool. Oh, thank you, Cameron. And, and you know, my, my belief has always been that the, the name of the beer, it should be creative, but it should also work hard to describe what's special about the recipe itself. A, so it's an interesting, compelling, quick read by the customer, but also if you're aspiring to be a distributing 
brewery and sell your beer, maybe not directly to the customer across your own bar, but through the three-tier system. So it has to go to a distributor who then sells it to a retailer. If you can come up with beer names that are memorable and describe what makes the liquid unique, it kind of acts as a de facto marketing campaign for that beer. You know, another, I think, example for us would be Sequench Ale, which is, I think, still the best-selling uh, fruited sour beer in America. And so it's a beer that you know, it's brewed with sea salt. It's designed to be super quenching and refreshing, hence the name. And it's three beers brewed in sequence and then combined uh, a Kolsch, then combined with a, a Berliner Weiss, you know, that's got uh, black limes and lime juice in it, then combined with a, uh, a Goza that has two different uh, kinds of sea salt in it. So that name kind of, you know, works really hard to, to do all that descriptive work about what, what the, the, the drinking experience should be like. Well, while we're on names, let's talk about Dogfish Head. Where and why Dogfish Head? I forget how goofy the sound of our name is to people <laughs> that, that don't know it, but I think a lot of people have heard of uh, Hilton Head in the Carolinas. Yep. Do- Dogfish Head is also a jut of land off, of, but the jut of land of Dogfish Head's off of Booth Bay Harbor, Maine. So I grew up in Western Massachusetts, but my folks had a, like a summer cabin on an island in Maine. And when I told my dad I didn't want to try to be a writer and I was going to quit, you know, going to taking graduate classes and, and I wanted to be a brewer and open a little brewery, I was on a jog with him up there and he was quiet for a second because he paid for education. <laughs> <laughs> but then the next sentence out of his mouth was a brewery. He said, huh, you know, Dogfish Head would be a good name for a brewery because we were we were jogging by the street sign for the road out to Dogfish Head. So that was pretty cool. That I was like, oh, you know, he's right. That is a cool, interesting name that is creative, but can mean different things to different people. Uh, sounded rustic and outdoorsy, which is what I wanted our brand to yeah. stand for. So that's kind of what, how we ended up with that name. I also like that while I associate it with a physical place, when you hear those words together, it's not like Delaware Brewing Company right. or Sierra Nevada Brewing Company. It's not referencing an exact place that people have heard of. So it can it's kind of a movable feast and can mean whatever you want it to mean when you hear it. And generic enough where, yeah, some people might not know it's even a location, but something that's super personal to you. I think that's a, a nice yeah. little subtle, subtle add to making a brand that's personal to you, but generic to anyone else is a that's a nice little touch there yeah yeah no it's it's served us well so do you still uh do you still have a, a family place up uh up that area that you get to ever yeah we do in fact my wife and i bought uh uh like three little cabins near the water that are on a little piece of land tucked in a mile from my parents house and then in the you know they they don't even have winter water you know i know a lot of folks in where you are uh have their winter cabins that are super rustic ours are too except that i installed in one of the little cabins a one barrel brewing system <laughs> of course you did two, two barrel fermenters <laughs> so we, we can go up there with our co-workers and friends and beer and, and play around uh literally on dogfish head in, in maine so yeah that's we look forward to those week we get maybe three weeks in the summer to be based up there that's very fun and have you uh, yeah. ha- have you released anything commercially that has started at that cabin? And you're like, oh yeah, this one is a big one that we're gonna we're gonna pursue. Yeah, I'll give props to my longest tenured uh, brewing coworker Brian Selders. He came up with me maybe three or four years ago, and on that system, we brewed a beer 
and we called it a main style pale ale because we used all these old school like 1990s mi- microbrewery era hops in it and and grain and we made like an unfiltered pale ale that was a, a shout out to the early 90s micro brewed pale ales of Maine, like Gary's beer. And there was a brew pub in the 90s called Gritty McDuff in Portland. So that homage became a beer we did called Walking Run that we did release kind of from New York down to Virginia. It didn't make it as far west as, as you guys, uh, but we released that beer commercially last fall. Nice. Sam, do you does Dogfish Head have is there one of your beers that is is always on top? There, you know, one that is your your biggest seller, or does it really depend on the market or depend on whether someone's, you know, visiting visiting you in person or out in distribution? What does that look like as far as the popularity of of the beers you guys are doing? Yeah, combining in volume, 60 minute and 90 minute are our biggest selling beers. But you know, close behind them are I mentioned Sequench Ale. We do a beer called Slightly Mighty, which is the same calories or as as Mick Michelob Ultra, but it's a real flavorful IPA. So Slightly Mighty, made with monk fruit, uh, sells really well, as does Sequench Ale. I mentioned mm-hmm. our, our, our sea, sea salt and lime infused sour. But the one that's growing the fastest is our newest uh year-round core beer and it's called citrus squall and it's basically a hybrid between a double golden ale and a paloma cocktail so we're taking kind of our experience from the fermenting of washes and the distilling side of our business and we're making a big golden ale but then before it starts fermenting with ale yeast we're adding substantial amount of you know uh, blue agave nectar uh, which you would use in tequila production. And we're using a, a big fraction of actual grapefruit juice to ferment as well. So uh, this beer, Citrus Squall, tastes kind of like a Paloma cocktail, meets a golden ale. It's 8% alcohol. So it's kind of between a cocktail and a beer in alcohol level as well. So that we just launched it two weeks ago, and uh, but it's growing really fast. Like We're just excited about, I think our sales guy in Virginia got 61 new tap handles with it wow. uh, last last week and <laughs> in two days two days of going out with samples 61 people wow. signed up to, to carry, carry it on draft uh, it has a super bright pink shark tap handle that so sticks fun. out too and the packaging's as pink as the the, the ruby red grapefruits <laughs> that we 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 make citrus squall with so that's probably a, the, an exciting one that your your readers will be seeing coming to your market here in the next next few weeks you can go on dogfish.com backslash fish finder and enter your you know your your zip code uh and, and it'll tell you what stores you enter citrus squall will tell you what stores near you bought that beer recently well speaking of growth you just told us, you know, mid to late '90s, you started as the the smallest brewery uh, at the time. And now you're distributed in all 50 states. You have this huge, massive, super recognizable brand. Like, was there a moment that you just like remember of like, "Yep, we've made it now." This this is this was the moment of success. You know, there's just been these incremental moments, but they're they're memorable. And and myself, my wife Mariah, and Andrew Greeley, who runs our our brew pub, a longtime coworker, wrote a book, kind of a based on the Beastie Boys book, but ours is kind of a called the Dogfish Head book, and it's really kind of pictorially a lot of design 
stuff in the book, but it's uh, it's chronologically telling the story of our brand, like through the chronological history of different beverages we've released or locations we've opened or, you know, marquee events that we've created. Um, so as I look through that book, I think of moments like in 1999, we came out with both Midas Touch and 90 Minute IPA and 90 Minute was the first label of beer in, in anywhere in the world to be called an imperial ipa like england you know breweries right. english breweries came up came up with imperial stouts england came up with ipa but 90 minute was the first beer that was that was called an imperial ipa so that was a big deal and that year esquire magazine named it best beer in america and that year also midas touch our ancient first ancient ale came out and there was people magazine did something on that in the today show. So that moment was kind of an inflection point for our kind of national recognition. And all of a sudden we just started getting calls from distributors and retailers that in states that we were not in that helped us grow. I'd say in others, we got to do the uh, show on the discovery channel that aired in like 44 countries a six episode series called brewmasters so that was kind of a more global we started getting emails and calls and you know we are we'd already done beers in collaboratively in italy and turkey and new belgium or in, in belgium and uh, new zealand but that led to breweries you know from like peru and uh like mariah and i are going to south africa next month to to do the brewers conference so definitely kind of put dogfish on a global map uh that show so those would be two moments that that stick out for sure that's fantastic and so speaking of growth and taking us to today dogfish head has has joined forces with boston beer company and and you guys have kind of teamed up and brought your skill sets and your your superpowers together uh and I imagine grown exponentially since that relationship began as well. So talk about that and how Dogfish Head fits into the Boston Beer Company uh, story and, and model and, and you know what that relationship looks like. Sure. So I mentioned the Brewers Association, which Charlie uh, um, Papazian founded, and that's become sort of the trade organization for all indie independent American craft brewers. Not all, but today there's almost 10,000 breweries, and the vast majority of American small breweries are also members of our trade group, the Brewers Association. So I've I served on the board of directors of the Brewers Association for over a, a decade, and I was chairman of the board uh, maybe seven or eight years ago, maybe more than that now. Um, and Jim Cook, who founded Boston Beer. Sam Adams is on that board alongside with me, Ken Grossman, who runs Sierra Nevada, Gary Fish, who runs Deschutes, uh, Kim Jordan, she ran New Belgium. So there's a bunch of us on this board and Jim Cook and I, I guess about a decade ago, became, you know, really good friends, you know, working on promoting and protecting the small breweries together. Uh, we were part of that group that came up with a definition of an in independent craft brewery and that we have a seal that goes on the packaging. So as we grew we also saw, you know, this massive influx of smaller local breweries that it's awesome that there's so much diversity out there, but it became harder for Mariah and I to run Dogfish as a small mom and pop based in rural coastal Delaware without a national sales force. We had a few people scattered throughout the country, but, it, you know, I did a collaborative beer with Jim uh, a year, many years ago and got to know some of his coworkers and just saw how well-developed and well-trained and passionate, but fun, but competitive his their sales force was and so mariah and i are like huh you know what maybe we should merge with another independent american craft brewery that fit, fits our association's definition 
and and because we had such complementary portfolios, you know, Sam Adams is super strong in lagers and seasonal beers, Dogfish strong in IPAs, sours, plus Boston Beer, Sam Adams also owned Truly Seltzer, uh, Angry Orchard Cider, and Dogfish had had this distillery that was super complementary as well. And we already were making James Beard-nominated cocktails at our distillery. So we were already thinking about commercializing and distributing our canned cocktails at the point where we decided to do this merger with Boston beer about four years ago. And that, you know, has been really great because it's given us this wonderful, you know, coast to coast sales force of hundreds of people, but we still, you know, run our brand out of here in coastal Delaware and uh, come up with our recipes here. But we just have these awesome resources from coast to coast. Uh, and for me, I probably spend 70, 65, 70% of my time still on brand dogfish, but I get to work on other fun projects with like our Sam Adams brand and our truly brand. Uh, plus I serve on the board of directors of the, of the, of the Boston uh, uh, beer company and my wife, Mariah, now oversees the social impact team oh, cool. for the whole Boston Boston Beer Company as well. So yeah, it's been a fun fun journey. But you you have been a part of paving the way for these craft independent independent craft breweries uh, for almost three decades now. So you've done a lot. You've done a lot of creative creation and paving the way for many other people that want to get into this industry. Do you think you have anything left to prove or? maybe take it a different direction. What do you think is the future from here on forward of independent craft breweries? Well, it's a profound question there, Cameron. I don't know. How to, <laughs> let's see. I will say that there's definitely an, uh, a shift that may not be permanent, but is really relevant for this moment in what the different models are for a commercial brewery in America. Like when Dogfish was coming up in that, in the nineties, I think there were more lanes that you could choose as a brewery founder to define success and um, where, where you could aspire to be a national brand coast to coast, like dogfish or stone, or you could dis- aspire to be a, a regionally strong, you know, brewery like new Glarus up in your neck of the woods. And there are all these paths in between if you wanted to focus on just five or 10 States in your region. But I think what's kind of happened as as there have been this, you know, 10,000 breweries that have come that have opened and yet the distributors that bring most beer that's distributed to market are actually consolidating. There's fewer of them with bigger market share. And then it, you layer on to that at this moment, craft beer is not growing. It's actually down a few points uh, at a moment when canned cocktails are growing and tequila is growing and vodka is growing. These d- distributors are honestly, I think generally less focused on nurturing and growing nascent small craft beer brands. So you're kind of at a moment where by and large, there's obviously exceptions to the rule. I think a short brewery near you, uh, but by and large today that there's two pretty distinct models. You either kind of go for it and become a national craft brand and you need a mature, you know, come to market strategy and a real sales team and a real marketing plans to speak the language of the distributors and the chain retailers. Um, or you stay hyper-local and, and focus on selling the majority of your beer across your own bar without a distributor and a retailer taking some of that margin from you. So it's an economically strong model to stay super local and sell your beer direct. But I'd say right now it doesn't feel like there's as many mid-size or mid-scale options as when Dogfish and Stone and breweries like that were coming up. And it, that's a beautiful thing. I, I think there's always room for another awesome 
brewery in every big town in America, as long as they're making stuff that's distinct from their competitors and is of world-class, you know, quality and consistency. I still think it's an awesome time to, to be thinking about opening a brewery. Sam, I do want to talk about, you know, people, where people can visit you and, and, you know, your, the experience out in Delaware, but let's, uh, let's pour another round. Don't go anywhere. Pour another round. We'll be right back after we pay our beer tab. Who doesn't love a good beer special? With Real Craft Pass, you can get two-for-one beers at nearly 150 Wisconsin breweries. That's buy one beer and pour another round for free. This is Wisconsin's biggest BOGO brewery booklet. And guess what? What's that? Pour Another Round listeners can get 10% off any Real Craft Pass booklet. Just use the code Pour Another Round at realcraftpass.com. That's real with two E's like a fishing reel. Not only is there over $800 in savings at Wisconsin breweries, but craft passes are also available for other states like Michigan, Wyoming, Montana, and even New Hampshire. Just visit realcraftpass.com and at checkout, use the promo code Pour Another Round. I have in front of me your Wake Up Worldwide Stout. In a dogfish head glass. Oh, that's the right way to do it. You're about to, your, your afternoon's about to go out of control. <laughs> <laughs> right. So talk about the, the worldwide stout and, and, and that beer, you know, that's obviously very different from the, the IPAs, uh, the 60 minute, 120 minute, 90 minute IPA. Um, so talk about the worldwide stout for us. Yeah, sure. So, uh, you know, we opened in 95 and we were in this coastal, sleepy coastal town and, rural Delaware. And so we were super busy on the boardwalk in the summers and then super dead in the winters here in this coastal town. So one winter, 99, I guess, we said, what do you want? We're sitting around bored. Like, what do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? How about let's try and brew the strongest beer in the world? Like, all right. So we gave ourselves that (laughs) challenge. By then we were on a homemade five barrel brewing system so we were making 150 gallons of beer at a time on our second brewing system and so we played around with all these different yeast regiments and oxygenation and different kinds of sugar sources and in 1999 we released the first batch of worldwide stout and then that's how i got to know jim cook better because the beer that we overtook as the strongest beer in the world was sam m's triple box and this is how long ago it was jim cook sent me a fax i heard a fax come through in the office <laughs> and it was a fax. Hey, congratulations on brewing the strongest beer in the world. Just so you know, we're, we're about to come up with a beer called Millennial, which will be stronger than your uh, worldwide stout. And that just started a good, you know, friendly competitive. We would, we would send each other in the mail beers that broke the other breweries records. So, uh, you know, worldwide stout <laughs> had the record. Then, then Millennial, then I think our Raison Dextra beat it. And then Sam Adams came out with Utopia. So we're like, all right, white flag. We're not, we're not going to try and get that strong. We're going to focus on this like 17-ish percent ABV space for beers like 120 minute and worldwide. So yeah, worldwide was our first beer over 16% alcohol. And it's, it ages like a 
you know, as a, like a fine Bordeaux wine, it only improves with age. And we, we tweak the recipe. Some, some year we'll age it on a special wood, like our Palo Santo wood. And last year we did a special version where we really leaned into our experience with, uh, in terms of brewing with organic ingredients and uh, regeneratively grown grains. So that version that you're drinking, enjoying now is actually brewed with uh, locally uh, roasted uh, coffee that's coming from our friends at Rise Up Coffee in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. And then it has organic maple syrup from New Leaf, uh, an organic syrup company on New England, and then uh, regeneratively grown uh, grains as well. But are you guys enjoying that one? Yeah, yeah, I I love this one, and I you mentioned Utopias. I had I tried Utopias out at the Great American Beer Festival too, and at the the brunch I was at with with Boston Beer Company and Dogfish Head, and both Utopias and Worldwide Stout were were being sampled that morning. So it was a it was a it was a really good start to the day. <laughs> I kind of remember it, and then I kind of don't. <laughs> I think I think right. Jonathan's probably in the same same boat. Kind of yeah. there, kind of yeah. not. <laughs> yep, yep. Good thing there was a, a buffet of food too, so we could uh, sponge it up, fill up, pat our stomachs a little bit. Yep, but yep. I, I really enjoy the worldwide stout and the, you know, the, the the hint of coffee flavor there. But it, but also, you know, boozy, and so it's it's got a nice mix of the the coffee and, and booze taste to it. And um, I've got still a couple in my fridge that I'm letting sit there. Uh, it says right on the bottle, ages well. So, and you mentioned that yourself too. So. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see how it changes over time too. Yeah, well, maybe next year shoot us an invite for your outdoor winter uh, beer fest because Worldwide Stout's exactly the kind of beer that I think people would, would appreciate in that kind of environment. Oh, yeah. That sounds fantastic. For sure. Yeah, yeah I like it a lot. And and I think I did actually try um, like mixing the Worldwide Stout and Utopias uh, at that, that brunch out in Denver too and tried kind of a splash of both of them together to, to yeah. see and it it probably the worldwide stout maybe like dulled the utopias a little bit <laughs> i i, I remember I, i've tried that blend myself and i i endorse that that process yeah. <laughs> yeah it was good so sam talk about where people can visit you out in delaware and actually coming right to the the tasting room yeah. So again, if you go to dogfish.com, you can click on our locations and kind of see everything that we have to offer. We have two like dogfish head ale houses that we don't brew at, but they serve a lot of our beers in the DC market. But okay. in terms of our, our home market of coastal Delaware, we have our Rehoboth campus and i rode my bike from our, our hotel here in lewis last night to see a beautiful sunset in the moon to visit our rehoboth campus and that has the original dogfish brewings and eats brew pub uh concept is on that little campus a beautiful dogfish store uh with all the stuff we make ourselves or in partnership with brands like patagonia uh and igloo that stores there as is chesapeake and maine which is our james beard nominated cocktail program seafood restaurant where we uh you know we we go direct to, to fishermen in maine and the chesapeake and buy fresh local seafood for chesapeake and maine and then in the town that's all in rehoboth and then in the town of lewis we have a beautiful little 17 room beer themed hotel that's all about getting people out into mother nature it's like the mother nature base camp for coastal delaware you get a growler in your room access to e-bikes regular nice. bikes paddle boards kayak and you can get by water or by bike trail to all of our locations from our hotel. And then the big production breweries up the bike path 
uh, from our hotel about eight miles west uh, in the town of Milton. And that has a, a cool little restaurant, tasting room, uh, our big 200-barrel brewing system, our big distillery. And you can tour all that facility and get all these different custom tours. One might be pairing beer with cheese. Another one might be a distillery-centric you know, tour. So our tour team does an amazing job of, of customizing the experience for, for people who come come visit us. Cool. Awesome. And you just mentioned a, a partnership or a collaboration with Patagonia. Patagonia is known, uh, well known for its own versions of social and environmental impact. You mentioned your wife uh, is the head of your social impact uh, initiative. Yeah. Uh, so, so talk about what what is what is she doing and what is Dogfish Head. Uh, pursuing when it comes to social impact and what does that mean for you guys out there well mariah oversees kind of our beer and benevolence program which is where you know dogfish has has done it for over 20 years but again with the merger jim cook and sam adams was really interested in seeing if we could create similar programs that were customized to each of our brands so you know we identify nonprofit partners that we believe work really in in synchronicity with the mission of the brand so for dogfish had a very outdoorsy uh, uh, brand our biggest nonprofit partners the nature conservancy because their mission's all about protecting the open wild spaces uh, and seas uh, around us and so we've raised over a million dollars as dogfish for the Delaware Pennsylvania chapter of the nature conservancy and then similarly she works with the Sam Adams brand uh, and team on a project called Brewing the American Dream. And that one's about helping aspiring or, or startup entrepreneurs scale and grow their business. So we give them business advice, help them get access to no interest or low interest loans, potentially uh, grants. And that's usually women or minority run and own businesses uh, that are part of Brewing the American Dream. So it's different things for different brands, but it's a very big initiative for for our, our our company and Mariah does a a great job of running that that part of our company. Fantastic! I love the brewing the American dream. That's very clever and a cool and a cool uh, area. Yeah, and it's mostly focused on entrepreneurs that are in the food and beverage space. So if anyone's listening, de- definitely Google Sam M's brewing the American dream. And there's usually, you know, around quarterly, there's these pitch events where you can pitch to, to be a winner of that. So a lot of different places that that you can really experience the Dogfish Head brand, whether it's your um, the Dogfish Dogfish Inn, right? Dogfish Inn is, is your hotel mm-hmm. the or your brewery space and, and tasting room. You've got a seafood restaurant with um, Chesapeake, Chesapeake Maine. and Maine. So a lot of options out uh, on the East Coast to be able to experience Dogfish Head and 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 that brand. But we mentioned Dogfish Head is available, you know, in all fifty states. Are you've done a lot of collaboration internationally? Is your beer available internationally as well? You know, it's it's not. You know, we we we. I was out two weeks ago in Hawaii. We released a collaborative beer with my buddy Garrett Hoon's Maui Brewing Company. Okay. Um, and that's the furthest away that we, we sell. It's obviously pretty far away, but we only sell in the 50 states. Um, you know, that said, we've got buddies at breweries around the world, and I'm planning to do an event uh, with a brewery called Northern Monk in uh, Leeds, L-E-E-D-S, uh, in the UK. Uh, we just did one recently with Signature Brewing in London. Uh, you know, we're planning an event for, uh, I mentioned South Africa this year. 
but they're not really to sell beers ongoing. We'll, we'll deliver our beer, do a one-time collaborative brew with a local brewery we have great respect for. So yeah, we right now don't have plans to actually expand our, our distribution outside of the U.S., but never say never. <laughs> sure. Very cool. And, you know, you so Dogfish Head is, has been called America's most interesting and adventurous small brewery. You guys are, you, you know, you don't jump on the bandwagon. You're, I think your your website says you're the funky drummer. Uh, you're not, you don't jump on the bandwagon. You're the funky drummer and like to just, you know, push the envelope and try different things. Is there anything, you know, coming up with Dogfish Head that you're really excited about that, that you want to talk about and, and, and tell people about that, that they can expect with Dogfish Head and, and that, that brand soon or Boston Beer Company as a whole? Uh, well, I mentioned Citrus Squall, which is the sort of gold nail, you know, hybrid of a Paloma cocktail. That one's going to be available nationally. I'm excited for our new Crush variety pack that has four different styles of Crush cocktails made with our rums or our gins and our vodkas. That's going out coast to coast. For a super hyper local one that I'm really excited about is we live in this historic town and I'm looking down towards our hotel, which is three blocks down the canal from where I'm sitting in my house right now. And there's a little like brick building on the harbor here that got hit by cannonball fire from the British troops. Oh, wow. And uh, a, a month ago, the cannonball that was lodged into the foundation of the historic building got stolen. What? And, and locally, there was, you know, on big news stories, someone stole the cannonball. Usually those stories have sad endings. But the person felt so guilty that they returned the cannonball. Good. Which uh, has a happy story. So at the Lewis Historic Society, I, we were already planning to do a, a Maybach you know that, uh, uh, and so I, I got to thinking with our brewer. I was like, "Hey, let's use local grains," and he's like, "Hey, let's use uh, malted milk ball centers uh, to celebrate <laughs> the so, to celebrate the return of our cannonball." So <laughs> we have a beer. We have a beer called uh, Balls Back Bach coming out <laughs> <That's awesome. laughs> in, in in the first week of April to celebrate the return of our our, our cannonball. <laughs> are you, are you going to invite the thief to that release party? <laughs> Well, there's like there was like a cartoon lineup in our newspaper of people they think it could have been. That was pretty funny. So we're making a T-shirt out of that, and then we're going to donate 100 percent of the proceeds of the T-shirt sales to the historic society. That's very fun. <laughs> It'll be fun. Well, Sam, we uh, we always have a question that we we ask everyone who comes on pour another round. We just talked about a variety of your beers. You also have a distillery that has a, a variety of lineups of, of spirits. So this might be a, a, a bit of a unique question for you. But if you're not drinking your own product, so that, that eliminates a lot of things for you now. <laughs> what, 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 uh, what, what would we find you drinking to just kind of kick back, enjoy your time, kind of shut off work if you, if you can even do that trying to, to sip on something? My my palate's calibrated towards bitter and tart. I think uh, more than than sweet or malty. Um, so a lot of IPAs. Hence, hence the ninety and one twenty minute IPA. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so when you've been making stuff for like that for almost thirty years, it's hard to drink uh, orange soda or even water. <laughs> For that matter, so I, I, if I'm going to have something alcohol, alcoholic, but not from us, uh, I'll enjoy like uh, Negroni, and so I'll make a Negroni and I steep it with uh, leaves of white sage, a white sage steep Negroni. 
uh, something I enjoy. Usually I make it with our own gin, but per your question, I'd make it uh-huh. with, uh, <laughs> with Bombay Sapphire. So maybe it's something that's not our own. And then non-elk wise, there's a brand I buy on Amazon that's like called Bitters and Seltzer or something, but it's just really like high quality cocktail quality bitters orange bitters and stuff uh-huh. um different bitters just mixed with seltzer water really clean but you know it has way more flavor and i think you know natural ingredient integrity than something like a Lacroix mm-hmm. or uh so so that's um, when i'm not drinking alcohol I'll have one of these bitters and uh seltzers that you can get in cans on, on amazon i love that i never heard of that i'll have to, I'll have to check that one out here I am helping Jeff Bezos get another yeah, spaceship. Right. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Giving shout outs to Amazon. That's pretty lame. <laughs> I'll also give shout outs to Lloyd's, our local market here in in, in Delaware, in, in Lewis, Delaware. So I feel less icky about promoting <laughs> There you go. And, and it's local, all about balance. Yeah, they, they sell a local cider made at Pfeiffer Orchards uh, that okay. we've collaborated with. So by 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 the uh, Pfeiffer's Seltzer at Lloyd's Market, Lewis, or go to Amazon for your bitters and seltzer. <laughs> Whichever one makes you feel better, you can go ahead and do all of the things. <laughs> Indeed. Well, Sam, thanks so much for joining us on Pour Another Round today. Um, it, you know, just hearing the, the, the long history and story of Dogfish Head Brewery and, and how you've gone from this tiny little self-made crafty uh brew house and 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 distillery to to what you are now today being known nationwide and and really around the world has been been really exciting so we've been it's been a thrill to hear the story and an honor to talk to you and we really enjoy you uh giving that rundown for us today well thank thank you both and thanks to the whole uh, pour another round universe it's, uh, time flies when you're having fun there are great great questions a great discussion and you've helped prove our theory that 60 minutes goes down really easy <laughs> ah, there and, it is ah, I like it. <laughs> love it, love it. well for our listeners be sure to head to um, the dogfish head brewery website the fish finder is there so you can find specific specific beers of dogfish heads that you're looking for in your area or if you're out on the east coast definitely be sure to to hit up um the the tasting room or stay at the the dogfish inn and uh, when you're out there pour another round for us while you're at it cheers guys cheers sam thank you this is a fun egg thanks for listening to this episode of pour another round be sure to follow us on your favorite social media platforms facebook instagram or twitter at pour another round we'll be sharing news and information from breweries who are friends of the show you can also find out what we're drinking and hear about upcoming featured breweries as well until next time be sure to pour yourself another round